Well, hello guys. Welcome back for episode 15. Hello, friends. We're still here. <laughs> not getting rid of us that easily. Nope, not at all. We tried to record last night, <laughs> but became heavily inebriated. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a gong show. Yeah, it We really tried was. for like four hours. <laughs> about that, yeah. About there. Yep. And it was uh, just not happening. So we are doing it again today. Mm-hmm. With a slight hangover. I actually feel a lot better than I did this morning. Holy cow. That was not good. <laughs> so I'm drinking water. <laughs> That's it. Until we're done. So how's your week been? It's been good. It's been busy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been busy. I don't really have anything eventful to say about my week other than us going to Motley Crew. Right. Yeah. You didn't talk about that, right? Did you? No. no. Let's talk about it. Okay. Um, the concert was amazing. Mm-hmm. Except for Motley Crue. <laughs> Okay. They did not do very good. Really? No. Well, actually, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say them as a whole. So I'm going to pick it apart a bit. So here goes. And trust me when I say that, you know, it takes a lot for me to actually say that like Motley Crue didn't do a you know a super swell job because they're my favorite band, right? Yeah. So uh, the instruments were way too loud. You, have you ever been... You've been to concerts before, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so have you ever been to a concert where the instruments or vocals or both were just way too loud? Yeah. And it's just... It wasn't... The, the, like, the sound tech, I don't know, somehow just did not match things up properly. Hmm. So the instruments were just blasting loud. Um, the vocals were way too loud as well. Mm-hmm. And the lead singer of Motley Crue, his name's Vince Neil, and he has a, a higher-pitched voice, so much different than most male singers, you know, mm-hmm. like being kind of stereotypical with it. He has a, yeah, a significantly higher pitched voice. Mm-hmm. And so with the vocals being way too loud, it was just, it was really hard on the ears. Okay. And also, I hate to say it, but Vince can't carry a fucking tune if it was in his pocket anymore. Oh shit. That sucks. He, yeah. He can't sing anymore. Like he couldn't even get through an entire sentence. Yeah. He was singing broken, broken up words. Oh. And you could tell that, like, he just didn't have the wind. He d- he did not have the wind. His, I don't know if his lungs aren't strong enough or what the problem is, if it's a medical issue or whatever. But either way, yeah. he cannot sing anymore. That sucks. And I've seen this happen with him in, like, videos of other concerts and stuff like that. And I've actually heard other people say that, like, man, Vince just really can't fucking sing anymore. And it, it sucks to even, you know, be saying this because it's just unfortunate, but it's the truth. Yeah. And that also makes it very frustrating for us fans because we spent a lot of money yeah. to go and see these extremely wealthy artists play mm-hmm. who don't exactly need the money. No, it's time to retire, probably. I suppose so, yeah. If you can't perform anymore, then that's exactly it. You're yeah. obligated to retire from performing. And that's exactly what I'm getting at is that, you know, those of us who went, we spent a lot of money on our tickets and then we had to pay for travel expenses, Mm -hmm. you know, accommodation, food, blah, blah, blah. So we expect that whoever is going to be uh, performing can actually fucking perform. Yeah. And that's not a tall demand. No, not at all. (laughs) No, that's literally within the, like, the realm of reality with going to a concert. You expect that the performers can fucking perform. Yeah. Vince just can't sing anymore. That sucks. Yeah, and so it was super disappointing. Actually, quite a few people left when Def Leppard was done. Really? Yeah, there was a shit ton of Def Leppard fans there. Okay. So obviously a lot of people went for them. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, once they were done, um, a a decent amount. It didn't become like, 
you know, visibly like empty, but yeah. a decent amount of people left the concert. And then I seen people even leaving mid midway through uh, Motley Crue. And I guarantee you they were kind of just like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> and honestly, I don't blame them. You know, like I was thinking about it. And I'm like, I could do a better job on that stage singing than Vince could. <laughs> and I know all of their songs off by heart. So yeah. like, it's not like I don't know the lyrics, but he just couldn't sing through, like I said, not even one sentence. Wow. He can't carry a tune. Like he cannot carry his vocals. Yeah. Like stretch out a, a note and stuff. No way. Like I said, he was literally singing broken up words yeah. here and there type of thing. And they were the, he was, I should say again, because the other guys like Nikki and Mick and Tommy did great mm -hmm. with their instruments. It was that Vince just can't sing anymore and everything was way too fucking loud. Hmm. It wasn't enjoyable loud. It was just like the sound tech needs to do a better job loud. Yeah. And the other bands were fantastic. That's good, at least. <laughs> yeah, they did fantastic. Poison was great. Joan Jett was great. Um, Def Leppard, I would say, was the best of everyone. Okay. They were unfucking believable Wow. Def Leppard killed it. The leads, I don't even know what the lead singer's name is. I, I've heard it before, but I can't remember his name. Mm -hmm. But he sings just as good as he did in the 80s. Wow. Incredible. All of them. And, like, I was looking at the difference, too, between, you know, like, fitness and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that plays a huge part in it. Oh, yeah. People who are performers need to stay in shape. Yeah. If, if you're going to be committing to performing, that is your responsibility. Yep. That's part of your fucking job. Do your job. Yep. Especially, even more so, considering that none of these guys need the money. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's, it almost, it adds a layer of arrogance mm -hmm. to it that they don't even need the money and they couldn't even be bothered to be, I say they, but I mean one person in particular <laughs> couldn't even be bothered to be in shape for the performances. So that's very disappointing, honestly. And I hate to say this. I'm literally wearing a Motley Crue shirt right now. Yep. I don't know if I would ever go see them again. Yeah. Well, you've, it, they're, they're past their prime and you've seen them twice. This yeah. is kind of... This was, like, unfortunate that the last time you saw him sucked, but... I know. It really, really does suck. Yeah, this... I think this was the final hurrah yeah. with seeing Motley Crue. So, yeah, I mean, but otherwise, like I said, Def Leppard, they fucking, like, hit it right out of the park. They did incredible. Awesome. Right out of BC place. <laughs> um, but, yeah, otherwise, it was great. Uh, Tommy Lee, he's the drummer of Motley mm -hmm. Crue, mm -hmm. and he did a a decent amount of speaking in front of everyone and he was really funny. He's a character. <laughs> so he was funny. And uh, you know how like in a concert they have the big huge screens? Yeah. On either side? Well, it's kind of a thing with Motley Crue. They used to have a titty cam. Oh. <laughs> when they would have concerts. I don't think they do it anymore, but they did for decades. And, you know, girls flashing and stuff. They literally had a camera dedicated to girls flashing. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was called the titty cam. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, and it's like a thing at Motley Crue concerts. You see a lot of topless women. And at one point when Tommy was talking, he's like, Hey, Vancouver, I haven't seen one fucking pair of tits yet. And then a whole bunch of women are like, Woo! And it's all on the big screens and stuff. And I had I got it recorded. That's funny. Yeah, I only took, a, like, a few pictures here and there, like a few short videos here and there, but most of the time, like, I was watching it. Because okay. I'm not the, the person who goes to a concert and is watching it through their phone. Like, yeah. I went yeah. there to see it live. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I just take a few pictures and short videos here and there, maybe one. And if, if a video is going to be, like, a little bit longer, like, if I'm going to run it out a bit longer, 
I'll have it set up, but then I'll just hold it and yeah. I'm actually actively watching, watching it. So yeah, I got the whole thing on record of Tommy talking to the crowd and I haven't seen a single pair of fucking tits yet tonight. <laughs> and then I got, yeah, foot, video footage of all the women flashing. So I was like, oh, nice. <laughs> So that was funny. And then uh, Nikki did some talking, too. He's a bass player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was great to see all the guys again. Like, it was great to see them performing and stuff like that. Yeah. The drive there was so hot and humid. Ugh. Oh, the humidity, Diana, and the humidity in Vancouver yeah. on Friday. The yeah. next day, it was overcast and a lot cooler. Nice. But the day of, holy fuck. Do you guys have AC in the Jeep? No, it, it there is, but uh, something happened, and it was working, just like in my truck. It was working, and then it crapped out. Fuck. So we drove down there with no AC. That sucks. Yeah, and right, I would say right in the middle of Abbotsford, we hit really bad traffic. Okay. Huge traffic jam coming into Vancouver. I mean, I'm sure you know how bad it can be. The oh, traffic, yeah. There can be, you could be stuck in traffic for hours. Yeah. So, like, you have to prepare for that, right? Oh, totally. And so I just decided to do my makeup in the Jeep and got that done. But it was so hot mm-hmm. that like by the time I was done, I had like sweat droplets through my foundation and stuff. Jeez. And I just kept fanning myself and like reapplying <laughs> powder like once every hour trying type of thing to try and just dry my face. Like just sitting, you were sweating like you Ugh. were wet. It was Ugh. so humid in Vancouver. When we were sitting in BC places, not uh, air conditioned. Oh, it fuck. was so fucking hot in BC place. Holy shit. It sounds like a nightmare to me. It was. It was <laughs> I'm not even in menopause and it was a nightmare yeah. for me. We were dying. Everybody in BC Place was just sweltering. And uh, yeah, like we were sitting in our seats, just sitting there and you're just, you had beads of sweat running down your face. Ugh. It was gross. And they had the whole roof. Have you ever been in BC Place? Uh, I don't think so, no. Okay. So it's massive. Mm-hmm. And the top of it is like a big uh, fabric thing and almost like a curtain, giant curtain. And you like, you know, they do something. And the top opens up. So they had the top open, um, which made the concert really cool because then it was like really bright from Mm. the sun and everything. And you had this big concert going. So it almost kind of had like a music festival vibe to it, sort of. Cool. Yeah. And then when it got darker out, all the lights, you know, come on and it's even cooler, right? Yeah. And then by the time Motley Crue came on, it was pitch black out. Okay. And the concert was pretty long. Like uh, it started at, you could go in at 3.30. It started at 4 and it ran to like just before 12 in the morning. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that long. It was pretty long. Holy yeah. shit. We were late though. We were an hour late for the concert, which <sighs> fucking sucked. I didn't know that. Because traffic was so bad. And then when we got into Vancouver to get to the concert, um, we would have been on time or mm-hmm. like we would have been there like maybe 4.20 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But traffic was so bad getting into Vancouver, like to the downtown area where where Rogers Arena is and stuff. It's yep. like so tight in there and stuff. Yeah. And so, and then we couldn't find parking. Yeah. And then I was trying to remember where the parkade was because I knew it was right beside BC Place, mm-hmm. but the road curves around it and I couldn't find the entrance. Mm-hmm. And so I, and that's where uh, Abby and I parked in that parkade to go to share. Oh, okay. And so that was going back, that's going back to 2019. So I was trying to remember, I'm like, where the fuck is this parkade? I know it's like right on the street. And then so we we went in, we finally found it, we went in, and we couldn't find a single stall. And we'd already gone through outside parking lots too. So we were exhausting every single fucking option to find parking. Yeah. And at this point, it's like 4.45, and we're like, fuck! That sucks. Yeah. And so then we got to, I think it was the, uh, we went up two or three levels or something like that, and we found one spot. One. Finally. And then, so I went to pay for parking 
And it was credit card only. Okay. And it doesn't accept debit credit cards. Oh. And um, and I didn't have my credit card with me. Yeah. And Jamie doesn't have one. So I was like, fuck. So then I couldn't even pay for parking. And so that be and we were already so behind. And yeah. so it was just one thing after the next. It was just all compiling type of thing. Yeah. And then so we Jamie had to download an app and then I gave him my my card number and then we yeah. paid through the app. And uh, there was a hang up with that too. I can't remember what it was, but it was the biggest pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And then oh yeah, the other thing is that uh, Ticketmaster. Yeah. I couldn't get her tickets. It the website. I think it was so overloaded, probably from like so many thousands of people trying to get their tickets. Yeah. It, the the website was crashing, so and it wouldn't let me log in. What you should do, and what I always do, is I always take a screenshot of the ticket. You can't. What do you mean? It says in it you can't take a screenshot. You have to have the ticket itself because the scanning uh, won't work on a screenshot yeah otherwise i would have right yeah, it will oh it does yeah. oh okay i i didn't even think to take a screenshot because it said like don't try a screenshot or whatever it won't work or whatever yeah. it said at the bottom of the screen huh. it was like you have to have your actual tickets up type of thing or whatever so yeah i just i didn't even bother and i wish i had and then you're gonna love this my phone died <laughs> <laughs> so then my of course phone it died. did yeah my phone died literally as soon as we parked in the parkade but i had it plugged in in the jeep uh-huh. but so, i don't know if the power cord is super weak but it was literally draining my battery Oh. It wasn't charging it. It was literally taking battery out power out of my phone. So the Jeep right there, my phone was draining power. That's so weird. And then, yeah, so then by the time we got to Rogers Arena, it was like at 20%. <laughs> and then it, it ended up dying. So then I had no phone for the entire concert. So, like, I took pictures and shit with Jamie's phone. Yeah. And so then I had to go into Ticketmaster on his phone with yeah. my login and stuff, but it wouldn't work because the website kept crashing. Oh. So it was just an absolute shit show. So then we finally, finally get up to the doors of Rogers Arena. And um, I go to one of the booths and I tell the lady, I'm like, my phone's dead. I've tried to log in on my spouse's phone to my account for Ticketmaster. And I was like, the website won't work. It keeps telling me there's an error and to try again later. Yeah. And so she's like, okay, so what's your name? Blah, blah, blah. So she found our tickets for us. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so we got in and then, oh my God. Yeah. It was just when we got in, we actually missed Joan Jett. Oh. Yeah, I'm pissed because she was also the only female artist playing. Oh, that sucks, dude. I know. I'm so fucking annoyed so is jamie that we missed joan yeah we just missed her when we got in we could hear her yeah and she sounded amazing yeah and then by the time we got to our seats like she they had just left the stage oh that sucks yeah so i was pissed that we missed her but that was the only performance that we missed honestly though i thought we'd miss two i thought we missed her and poison okay because i had a feeling that def leppard would be paying would be playing before motley Crue. yeah so, yeah, I thought we missed two performances. So I was still happy that it was only just one. Yeah, but still. But still, it totally sucked. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much the whole thing about the concert. Um, and then after that, uh, we drove around and just kind of explored Vancouver for a bit. We accidentally ended up in Port Moody. <laughs> we had no idea where we were going. We went down East Hastings because, I, like I have told you, I have this fascination with East Hastings. So anytime yeah. I'm in Vancouver and if it works, I want to go to East Hastings. Yeah. I want to see it. It's just it's such a phenomenon. And so, um, and I mean, like we've talked about it before, there's home, like we have homeless people in Cologne and stuff, but it's yeah. nothing like East Hastings. No. Nothing like that stretch. It's like Skid Row in Los Angeles. Yeah. A sad sight. Oh. But like, if you don't see that every day, it's like, whoa. Yeah. It's so surreal. It looks like something out of a movie. Yeah. And I know, obviously it's not, but it's just, if you don't see that every day, it's like, holy crap. Like, yeah, this really, this, it does exist. It does. I know. Yeah. 
So, and East Hastings is a long road. Mm -hmm. So I asked Jamie, I was like, can we go to East Hastings? He was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) And and we were starving. So we went and got food too. That's a whole story. Oh my God. (laughs) So we, uh, and with GPS, if you want to go to East Hastings, it'll do everything in its power to reroute you around it. And so it was doing that. And then it brought us to an intersection and then East Hastings was in front of us. And then it told us to turn right. And I had this gut feeling that it took us around it and that it was over there and we went this way. And then I noticed how clean the streets were and all of the lights and the trees. And I'm like, we went past it. And then Jamie's like, oh no, it's up here. It gets really bad. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, no. No, you're we, wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> We're at the other end of East, East Hastings. Sure enough, I was right. And so, yeah, we just kept driving. And then before we knew it, we hit really dark highway. Yeah. And then we were in Port Moody. <laughs> and we had no idea where we were. And we were both like, where the fuck are we? That's and funny. then I seen a sign in these cedars. And yeah, this port. I was like, oh, we're in Port Moody, babe. <laughs> and so, yeah, we went and sat down at the ocean for a, for a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. And then turned around and went back. And then um, I said to him, I was like, well, babe, we have to pretty much go the same way that we came to get back to where we're going. And we were staying in Surrey. So it was like, we have to go back the same way we came. I was like, please, can we just drive down to East Hastings to the other end? Because I really want to see it. Because yeah. we have to go the way anyway. So he was like, yeah, okay, fine. But we were starving. So we stopped at AMW. We were in the lineup for probably over a half an hour. What? It was insane. Holy shit. Oh my God. It took so fucking long, Dinah. We were both getting so annoyed. You're getting hangry. <laughs> we were so hangry. Yeah. We weren't getting snappy with each other, though. Like, no. No, like, we, we're not really like that with each other. Like, rarely ever do we get snappy with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So then we finally got our food. And then, yeah, we went down East Hastings and seen the saddest shit. Oh. The saddest stuff. Like... Oh my goodness, just heartbreaking. I did notice though that they have cleaned up a lot of it. I seen the saddest thing. I looked to my right and there was an alleyway and I seen this homeless man. And I think he was shooting up in his thigh or something. My heart broke for him. It was just so sad. And we were at a stop so I was watching him and I was just like, what happened? Like to lead... Yeah. To lead him to where he where he is now. I always wonder that when I look at some people, like, just what happened to you? Like, I know. And it's so sad. Like, obviously, people have failed them. Governments failed them. Society has failed them. them. Everything yeah. has failed those people. Yeah. And it's just so heartbreaking. And then there was, I also see beauty in not those, what they're living through, but some of the stuff that's either graffitied along all the buildings Mm -hmm. or that's been like, uh, pasted up like, uh, posters and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of unique beauty down there too. I thought about the amazing pictures that a photographer could get down there Mm -hmm. or even anybody, if you have a good camera, Mm -hmm. if, and if you have an eye for that stuff, if it was safe, to walk down East Hastings, you could get the most remarkable pictures. And Nikki Six has done that, actually. Uh, oh, okay. The bass player from Motley Crue. I don't know if he went down East Hastings, but he's a photographer. Okay. And so he's walked around different parts of Canada and stuff. And I know he's taken a lot of pictures in Vancouver. Okay. And yeah, he'll just walk around. He'll just walk around with his camera <laughs> and taking pictures of stuff. And uh, he usually takes pictures of a lot of like down- downtrodden people, but he'll talk with them and stuff, too. And like... Uh, he gets stories from them and everything okay. like that. So that's cool. So yeah, it was. Uh, it's so surreal to drive through these tastings. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been through it before as yeah. well. It's uh, sad for sure. 
scary. It's very scary. <laughs> yeah. It's something else. It's almost hard to explain. You almost have to just go there and see it. Yeah. That or again, like Skid Row in Los Angeles. You just, you have to see something like that to fully grasp the weight of it. Yeah. Of watching it where it's like, holy fuck, this stuff does exist. Like, yep. it really is this bad. And it's so sad. It is. So, anyways, I feel like I have been talking nonstop. I'm going to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you fine. talk for a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I got to watch Cecily and Duchess. So we had a fun, you know, few days. Well, actually, fun day, because then the next day I had migraine. Yeah. So, that's yeah. That's right. That sucked. I felt so bad because I wanted to uh, spend some time with Mouse, obviously, but she saw I was, was not in a good place. Yeah. So she just watched TV and, and did her thing while I sat and died on the couch, laid down on the couch and just died in the dark. Yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I'd promised her that we were going to go in the hot tub. Oh. But it was just too smoky. Even if uh, I was feeling yeah, okay. Yeah, it was super smoky. All it, that smoke came in from the U.S. Yeah, even if I was feeling okay, I, I wouldn't have gone out because... Yeah, um, and I think that's why I had the headache. Probably. Like that, you know, that air or the yep. smoke in the air always gives me a headache. So. Me too. And I wouldn't want it to make her sick either. Yeah. So even if I was feeling okay, we, we wouldn't have gone in. But yeah. I feel bad. Like I did, you know, I was like, yeah, we'll go in the hot tub. And then that didn't happen. But because of the smoke. Yeah. Which sucked. But it cleared. It's thank thankfully it cleared. But it was it was a few days of just gross. Yeah, and the sun was red one of the days I sent you that picture. Yeah. Like it was red from all the smoke. Mm -hmm. So it's cool to see. It is cool to it's see. It's very cool to see, but it's uh yeah. It always gives me a headache, so Yeah. But then yeah, the rest of the week I've just been working like a dog. Yeah. Like my hours have been crazy. I mean I set my own hours, but it's been a slow summer for work, so yeah, I'm just trying to get kind of back on track and mm -hmm. I've been working evenings I work during the day and yeah so th that's pretty much it just lots of work yeah you've been working really hard nothing fun <laughs> nothing fun but yeah mm -hmm. that's it oh I uh, meant to mention as well I just want to give a shout out to our amazing friends China and David for um, having us at their house in Surrey when we went down to Vancouver nice they are amazing we went to their wedding yes and August, I think it, I think it yeah. was August. Yeah, yeah, it was August. It was yeah. like the beginning of August. Yeah, I think yeah, it was the beginning of August. Yeah, it was great. They're they're wonderful people. I've known China since we were like twelve, mm -hmm. and uh, met David for the first time at their wedding. And he's great. He's from Ireland. Okay, has a very <laughs> strong Irish accent. Love it. Yeah, he's 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 really funny and great. Really boisterous. <laughs> Him and China are very very different people. She's very quiet. Yeah. Yeah, and David is not. <laughs> that usually works though. Like yeah. there's always Ying one person in yeah, there's always one person in the relationship that's very talkative, very loud, mm -hmm. and the other one is not. Because mm -hmm. you can't have two loud people. I mean you can, I've seen it, but they clash. Totally. Like, right? So there's always gotta be the, the quiet one and then the loud one. It's just like with Jamie now. <laughs> I was gonna say you're definitely the talkative loud one and Jamie is the quiet one. <laughs> But yeah, most relationships are like that. It just it just works better. It does. Yeah, there's something about it. You just you balance each other out. Totally. I give Jamie the energy that he needs and he gives me the calmness that I need. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Do they listen to the podcast? Will China they, and David? Yeah, will they hear the shout out? I'm not sure if they listen. Um, I'd have to ask China. I'm not sure if she's listened to it or not. Tell her to listen. Definitely. Send her the link and go listen to this lady. You hear that, China? <laughs> I don't know you, but listen to our podcast. <laughs> you'll listen to or you'll listen to her. You'll meet her eventually. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure she's I will. great. They're both great. That's awesome. Her family's great. Yeah, I know her like her immediate family, and they're they're wonderful people. Did you guys go to school together? Yeah, we went to middle school and high school together. Okay, cool. or did we go to? 
Actually, I don't know. Did we go to high school together? I can't remember if she went to KSS. I think she did, but I know that I, I wonder if it was her. I had a friend that there was a gap where we didn't see each other for a while too. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was China. I think she left hmm. maybe after grade 10 or something. I'll have to ask her because I feel like I didn't graduate with her. I yeah, have to just ask, ask her. her. Yeah, I'll have to ask her. So anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's, that's, that was my week. Nothing too exciting. Yeah. I mean, except for last night. <laughs> We're in the hot tub. Mm -hmm. Well, your legs were in the hot tub. Legs me, were in... me and your sister were in the hot tub. Yeah. And yeah, no, that was that was fun. I needed the break though. Like from the week I've had, I definitely yeah. needed needed the break. That's pretty much it. So I think I should do my story first this week again, uh, because yours is so you're gonna do two part yeah. story. So the next week we'll start with your story. Yeah. I think uh, we should do that unless you want to go first. No, no, no. It makes sense for me to go last because then I could just connect it and I'll go first in episode 16. Yeah. Yeah. I, it I just think, makes sense. I think that makes sense too. I think so too. I All just right. wanted to quickly add to it's hunting season. Yeah. I've seen your, your countdown. <laughs> hunting season was today. Oh, it was today. today I don't know why I thought it was a few day. more days. No, nope, okay. September 10th. Shit, it is September 10th. Yep. Holy cow. Wow. All right. I wanted to go hunting this morning, but I left your place this morning. <laughs> Right. so early and i was so tired yeah oh my god and i forgot to even set an alarm i woke up in a panic i saw that you you messaged david and you're like are you awake and he's like yep and then you messaged back sorry i passed the fuck <laughs> <Yeah>. out <laughs> that made me laugh so hard because i was like i didn't message him that it was you and i was like laughing so hard when i saw that it's like yeah that's funny yeah so. <laughs> i literally got into bed and then like i put my phone down and <laughs> I was out. So yeah, I seen that the next morning too. And I was like, yeah, no, uh, that didn't last long. No, that was pretty funny. <laughs> that was funny. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, no, but I definitely needed yesterday. Like I needed uh, a break, not think about work and <laughs> not think about anything, just have some fun. So it was good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. yeah it was good. It was good to have your sister over. I mean, it sucks that she's not here today because she was supposed to be our guest. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. I felt so bad. I apologized to her several times. I'm like, I'm so sorry, dude. Like, yeah, you were supposed to be a guest. And then the whole recording just ended up a total shit show. Well, you know, it wasn't just like one person. It was all of us just kind of. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. I don't mean anyone in particular yeah. singled out. Just the whole thing. I know. Just all of it ended up such a shit show. And then, yeah, we were drinking and stuff. And it just. <laughs> It was just going sideways. It's like a drunk person when they're walking and they yeah, keep yeah. continuously going more and more sideways. That's how our recording went. Yep. So she'll have to definitely be a guest on another episode, but we'll have to like record before we start drinking. Yes. So that that doesn't happen again. I second that. Oh, what a, what a gong show. So we're going to dive into our stories, but... I did forget to mention something that's cool from our trip. So the day that we came home, Jamie and I went and grabbed breakfast and coffee. And I hadn't seen the ocean, like, or been to the ocean since I was 20, I think. 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. 20 or 21 was the last time, yeah, I'd been to the ocean. And so I, I've been dying to go back and, like, actually physically go like to the beach and stuff right mm -hmm. and so before we we were gonna leave we both wanted to see the ocean so that was something that we yeah like mutually wanted mutually to do wanted to do and so the next day yeah we went and grabbed breakfast and everything and then we went to white rock which is such a gorgeous part of vancouver have you ever been there uh yeah a while ago so beautiful while. 
And so, yeah, we went and had breakfast literally on the beach. We sat at a picnic table and we faced the ocean and it was just beautiful. Wow. Um, yeah. And then we went and walked on the pier. I never knew that the longest pier in Canada mm-hmm. is in um, White Rock. I did not know that either. Yeah, I had no idea. And it even says it on it, the Canada's longest pier or whatever. Yeah. And then so we went, we walked about halfway down and then we were like, all right, well, it's just the same shit for the rest of the distance. And then so we ended up walking back. And at that point, like we had to go. Mm-hmm. We were like, fuck, like it's like 1240. I think it was like 1247 or something when I looked at the time and I was yeah. like, we got to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but before that, we'd walk down the beach a little bit. Yeah, it was just, it was really nice. And when we were looking at the ocean, you could see America in the Mm -hmm. mountains in the distance. Oh, nice. So it was like, hey, American friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty there. Well, it's it's nice that you guys got to do that. beautiful. Yeah, it was so great. It was just the perfect ending to our trip. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it was great. And I forgot how many gorgeous, huge cedar trees are down on the coast. Beautiful. Like, we have cedars in Kelowna, but they're just like bushes. Yeah, exactly. Like, big bushes. But in in Vancouver and stuff down there, they're actual like big trees they're beautiful i wish we had more cedar trees here pine and spruce but the cedars are just so gorgeous well talking about you're saying that's the longest bridge there's a fun fact that uh, i'm sure a lot of people don't realize but you know the uh bridge here it's a floating bridge right yeah it is the only floating bridge in all of canada oh really yep oh i didn't know that i always tell everybody like ernie he's an engineer so yeah uh well you know his engineering background and stuff so when he was here i I told them about that. Uh, So, yeah, I usually tell a lot of people because they don't realize it's a floating bridge. And there's only about 12 in the world. Really? Yeah. And it's the only one in Canada. That I didn't know. Crazy. Again, the other day, I was just, I don't know, like, curious. And I started uh, reading about certain things. And then I started reading about the bridge again. And that was one of the facts. I was like, that I didn't know. Yeah. So I wanted to share that. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like the only floating bridge in all of Canada. That's so cool. And then it's one of like 12 or 13 in all of the world. Wow. Yep. That's really cool. Very cool, right? Yeah. Interesting. Just thought I'd share that fun fact. (laughs) The more you know. Right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay. So I'm going to start with my story. My sources are a report from The Guardian from 2002, uh, Murderpedia and Wikipedia. Triggers are incest, rape, murder, and extreme gory details. The story is about, yeah, the story is about Andres Pandy, but I'm just going to refer to him as Andres. So it's a guy. Andres was born on June 1st of 20... (laughs) I'm going to make these bigger. Hold on. Andres was born on June 1st of 1927 in a village just across the border from Hungary to Hungarian parents. He met his first wife, Ilona Soros, at the Reformed Church, where he was a church counselor. In 1956, they moved to Belgium, where Andres became a pastor for a Hungarian Protestant community in Brussels. He was also a religious teacher for the United Protestant Church. Andres and Ilona had a little girl in 1956 named Agnes and two boys, Daniel, born in 1961, and Zoltan, born in 1966. The marriage dissolved shortly after the birth of Zoltan as Andres accused his wife of cheating on him. She moved out with her boys, but left Agnes to stay with her dad. Once his wife left, he started an abusive, incest relationship with his daughter. Ugh. Yep. And I think she was about 11. Ugh. Uh, Well, one report I read, she was 11. The other report I read, she was 13. It doesn't matter. It's disgusting all around. Either way way is all wrong. Oh, poor Agnes. Right? A few years later, in the early 1970s, he started dating other women through dating services with a local newspaper. He went by different names while dating these women and lied about what he did for a living. His ad handle was European Honeymoon. (laughs) 
Wow. Murph. Wait till you see photos of this guy. Ugh. Ugh, I can only imagine. Yeah, he was just, he was not a good looking man at all. Ugh. Of course he was overconfident. Right? Right? <laughs> By the end of the 70s, he met his second wife, Edith Fintor, in Hungary. She was married at the time. She had three daughters, age seven, Andrea, uh, eight, Tundi, and 15, Tamea, from two previous marriages. Her husband at the time said that Andres had seduced his wife. <laughs> Again, I'm laughing because I know what this guy looks like. So when you see, you'll be like, Eesh. Andres' divorce fi was finalized in 1979. This is when Edith and Andres decided to elope in Belgium with her girls. Andres and Edith had two more children, a boy named Andres Jr. and a girl named Rika, or Rekka, R-E-K-A. In 1984, Andres started another abusive, incestuous relationship with his then 20-year-old stepdaughter, Ugh. where she became pregnant with his child after Ugh. he raped her. Yeah. Her family didn't believe her stories of sexual abuse and accused her of taking one of Andres's towels that happened to have a semen on it and impregnated herself. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her mom wasn't one of these people, by the way. Like, this was other family members. So, yeah, she went and found a towel that he jerked off into and then rubbed it all up in her cooch so that she could get pregnant with his baby. Because that's much more plausible. Right? When I read that, I was so annoyed. The lengths that people would go to to accuse women of being wrong in these situations yeah, accuse are victims. astounding. Yeah. Like that length. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I know. Let's stop and think about that for a fucking what, second. What seems, what seems more plausible? Yeah, exactly. Her rubbing a fucking towel up her twat or this fucking piece of shit raping her? Exactly. Definitely the towel. Yeah. Seems like the, the right thing or the most plausible thing anyway. Anyway, yeah. It's just like, poor thing. Fuck. Unbelievable. Yeah. So they sent Tamea off to live with his daughter, Agnes. Agnes became extremely jealous of the fact that Tamea had been raped by her father and tried bludgeoning her to death with an iron bar. So wait, did she get like fucking Stockholm syndrome? I think so. Yeah. Sounds like it. Oh, oh yeah. no. Oh no. Yeah. Yikes. So she tried to beat uh, this poor girl to death. Tamea was hospitalized and reported the abuse that Andres uh, had uh, inflicted on her, but no one believed her there either. At the hospital. <laughs> yeah, this again, like, I feel so sad for this girl. She spoke out twice and both times was told she was lying. So Tamea gave birth to a son named Mark. Tamea escaped from her family in 1986 and lived with relatives in Vancouver, BC, but eventually moved back to Hungary. Tamea told her mother that Mark's father was Andres her husband, yeah. and that he had been sexually abusing her. Edith approached Andres and lost her shit when she found out. So her mom believed her. Shortly after the fight, Edith and her 14-year-old daughter, Andrea, went missing. This sack of shit told the cops that Edith left him for another man, and they moved to Germany. He forged a telegram and used it as evidence that they did, in fact, move to Germany. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. In 1988, two years after their disappearance, 20 years after his separation from his first wife, she also went missing with her two sons. So his first wife went missing. And the two sons were his as well, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Andrews said that they had moved uh, to France, but then said that, oh, no, they actually moved to South America. By 1990, Edith's 18-year-old daughter, Tundi, was living, still living with Andres. So even after her mother and sister disappeared, she was still living 
living with him. He sent his daughter Agnes on vacation with his younger kids. When they came back from vacation, Tunde had also gone missing. He told Agnes that she went to live with another family. The police didn't do much or didn't put much effort into the disappearances because Andres had used false testimony and forged evidence, so they just believed him. In 1992, Agnes tried to report the abuse she had suffered from her dad to the police. The police didn't really take any action at first, but eventually the police took more interest in the disappearances and started to investigate. The Hungarian police got involved, so it was the Belgian police and the Hungarian police. So were they in Belgium? Sorry, I was going to ask. I, I, I missed where they are in Europe. Sorry. Right now they're in Belgium. They're in Belgium, so, okay. Yeah, so he, he goes between Belgium and Hungary. Mm-hmm. So that was actually in this paragraph. So. Okay. The Hungarian police got involved as there were many missing women in Hungary and Adris traveled there often uh, to his summer home. So he had quite a few homes. While on his trips to Hungary, he would meet new women and take them back to Brussels with him. Both police forces worked together on this investigation. Two sisters named Eva and Margit told police that Andres had offered them both a trip back to Brussels with him. And they both said yes, as they wanted to be his wife. Again, I don't even know. <laughs> Wait till you see the pictures of this dude. Like, I don't understand all these women were like, I want to be your wife. Like, and ugh. anyway. So, yeah. And, but two sisters, they both wanted to ugh. be his wife. So they both went with him. Um, so once in Brussels, he locked them both in the house and forced them to cook and clean for him. He told them that they weren't allowed to go out because it would look suspicious if they were out and couldn't speak Hungarian. Uh, he asked both of them to marry him. And they both said no and that they wanted to go home. So he let them go. He sent them home. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. No, neither was I. Not when at I read, all. I, when I read that, I was like, oh, okay. Well, so at least they got away alive. They got away. They were lucky. But I guess at that point, they were like, fuck this piece of shit. They wanted to marry him. But now they were like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So his employer, the United Protestant Church in Belgium, never made any complaints against him while he was a teacher and a pastor. This changed in 1988 when his colleague, the Dutch minister, Andries Den Brouwer became aware of the abuse. The minister wrote to the Belgium Ministry of Justice and Queen Fabiola. That name always makes me laugh for some reason. Fabiola. Fabiola, that's Fabiola. Fabiola. Yeah, Fabiola. uh, About his suspicions, but never received an answer. By 1996, it was discovered that he used false testimony and fake letters as Andres hired actors to play the victims and told them it was for a film about his life. The actors told police that they were alive and well, like they were pretending to be the family members that went missing. Yeah. The police stopped investigating the case in 1996. Andrus was arrested, however, on October 16th of 1997, on the same day as the White March. This was a large protest for the victims of Belgian serial killer Mark Dutro. He sexually abused and killed several girls a few years before Andrus, before his arrest. So it was just a coincidence that he got arrested that same day. Mm-hmm. It was a controversial case in Belgium as it brought the police's incompetence and corruption into the national spotlight. In November of 1997, shortly after her father's arrest, Agnes was also arrested. She eventually confessed to having a hand in the murders and the disappearance of everyone. Agnes said that she alone killed her mom, Ilona, and helped with the murders of Daniel, Zoltan, Edith, and Andrea. Jesus. She was not involved with Tundi's murder. That's the um, uh, murder he committed while they were on vacation. Yeah. So that one he did on his own. She said in... The- at least two of the murders, they were committed with a handgun and head trauma caused by a sledgehammer. 
Once dead, they would chop up the corpses using an axe and kitchen knives, then dissolve the remains in cleanest, which is an acidic drain cleaner. They'd bag up the bones and organs and anything that didn't dissolve and dump it at the local slaughterhouse. Quote, it was my task to take out the organs while Andres was cutting up the remains. I just used a kitchen knife. You have to exercise strength. It's not that easy. End quote. Andres denied the charges, but the police were able to gather enough evidence from Agnes's testimony to convict him. She helped prosecutors by filling them in with all the gory details. Even though there were no bodies, the police found teeth, bones, flesh, bloodstains, ripped clothes, hair, and ashes in the homes that he owned in Brussels. Andres said this was a witch trial against him and told the jury that all the dead family members were all still alive and that he kept in contact with them through angels. They asked him why there was no record uh, for any of the missing family members for at least the last four years, and he simply just said... Quote, it's up to justice to prove that they are dead. When I'm free again, they will come and visit me, end quote. On March 6th of 2002, he was found guilty on six counts of premeditated murder, attempted murder, and the rape of his three daughters. He received life imprisonment without parole. He was initially in the prison of Leuven Centrale, but for health reasons was sent to the prison in Bruges. Prison authorities had considered rehoming him to a retirement home in 2007 at the age of 80, but that never happened, thankfully. He deserves to rot where he is. Agnes was jailed for 21 years in 2002 at the age of 44. So I think she's like in her 40s now, I guess. Uh, sorry, 60s. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so she's about 64. So, uh, so yeah, she was jailed for 21 years in 2004 for being an accomplice to five of the murders and one attempted murder. Prosecutors requested a 29-year sentence, but her lawyer asked for forgiveness as she was an unwilling accomplice and that she had been under the, quote, overwhelming, irresistible spell, end quote, of a father who raped her from the age of 11 and coerced her into helping him with the killings. Again, irresistible spell. Ugh, yeah, anyway. more like she was just a child and she was groomed. Totally. Let's call it for what it fucking is. 100%. Like, I mean, and then when she tried to kill that other girl, like, for sleeping yeah. with her father, like, yeah. she, obviously, this poor girl is not okay no, in the head. No, she's totally brainwashed. Yeah. She's a child. Yeah. She's innocent. Yeah. In this. Yeah. In her closing statement, Agnes said, quote, I had no way out. I was completely in his grip, end quote. Andres died on December 23rd of 2013 from natural causes in the Bruges Prison Infirmary. So this doesn't end here. Just a little more history, I guess, on him. Andres owned several homes in central Brussels. During the excavation of one of his homes, they found the skeletal remains of seven women and one man in the concrete floor in his basement. In 1998, through DNA profiling of the bones, they said that none of those were the relatives that had gone missing. So completely different people. Yeah. They do think that this may be the women he met through the dating service in Hungary and brought them back to Brussels. They also found a false ceiling with three rifles, four handguns, and drain cleaner that he used, the clean, the cleanest, yeah. or cleanest, whatever. It's no longer on the market because of its strength. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, people were using it to dissolve bodies, apparently, so yeah. Yeah. It's no longer on the market. Crazy. Yeah. 
after he and Agnes were arrested, the authorities think that these two may have committed several other murders before enduring the murders of their family members. A report in the Hungarian newspaper said that Andres fostered a number of kids from Romania in his Brussels home. They were recruited by a charity called YDNAP, and that's his name backwards. His name is last name Pandy. Mm -hmm. so, so his last name, and nobody knows what happened to those children. Authorities also linked Andres and Agnes to the disappearance of a 12-year-old girl whose mom had been dating Andres in 1993. So her daughter went missing. They searched the basements in his previous home, but the findings were never released. But it was suggested that an old family tragedy may have prompted his behavior and thirst for killing. They also think that the prisoner in Belgium may not have been Andres at all. That it may have been his younger brother, who apparently had died in 1956 when Andres had moved to Belgium. So they think that it wasn't even Andres at all, that Andres, the real Andres died, and this was his brother pretending to be him. Crazy. And that's my story. Wow. Right? I've never heard of this. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. Priest, you know, he was using that to his advantage to fucking... Ugh. They always do, right? Hide behind that fucking Bible. Yep. Hide behind your book club. Yeah. So yeah, it's a pretty messed up case. He killed a lot of people, raped three of his daughters, horrible, impregnated one of them, his two wives... He killed his own kids. They weren't all just his stepkids. Yeah. He killed his own kids. That takes a certain level of psychopathy. Like you, that's, that's psychosis to yeah. kill your own children. Yeah. That's totally psychosis. Yeah. The fact that he let those other two women, like the sisters go, like yeah, I was that's shocked. Incredible. I was shocked. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So they, I'm sure they felt like the luckiest people on the face of the earth and won the lottery. Oh, I'm sure. When they found out. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Well, thank you for sharing. Wow. All right. So to cite my sources, um, all that's interesting.com. And also this gal, her name is Danielle Kirsty. She runs a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. I highly recommend her. So I cited from her uh, episode as well on okay. YouTube and then bookreporter.com. So I named my story fragments. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. This story is going to be cut, and I'm going to say my trigger warning as well. Okay. This story is going to be cut in half because it is insanely long. I actually haven't even finished writing the end of it yet. Oh, shit. I, I really need to finish writing the end of it. But it's by the time I'm done, it's going to be probably about 15 pages. Jesus. I know. It's fucking crazy. And literally, like, I cannot condense it. No. And Some stories you can't. You can't. Yeah. And this story itself is so fucking long. Yeah. And so in-depth. And it's like, you can barely... The type of story... It is never everything. Like, you'll know what I mean. You can't really gloss over anything because it's all so pertinent to yeah. everything. So right now, as it stands, it's 12 and a half pages. Jesus. Yeah. Well, I so, actually, before I forget, I actually did name mine, but I didn't say it. I, oh, what is I it? named it the Diabolical Pastor. Oh, I love it. I love that. Yeah. That's great. That's what I named great it. Great so name. I just, yeah, I guess I forgot to, to say it, but I figure I might as well say it now. Yeah. <laughs> Trigger warning, guys sadism, psychological and emotional abuse and torture, starvation, mutilation, intense physical torture, child abuse, elderly abuse, murder. Uh, listener's discretion is strongly advised with this one. I'm dead serious. This is a hefty case and beyond your worst nightmares. 
It's so intense and lengthy that, like I said, I'm splitting it up into two episodes. And it's just, it's simply too much to process or explain in one episode. Like I timed myself reading this out at 12 and a half pages and it took me just over a half an hour and my throat was so sore. So there's no way I would even want to do this all like that long winded. And uh, I think I'd start to lose people like their eyes would be glossing over like donuts <laughs> if I read this entire story in one episode. So seriously, guys, this story is really, really intense. So if you have any triggers with anything that I listed, don't even bother listening to this because this is one of the most horrifying stories I've ever heard of in my life. Okay. So it's really, really bad. All right. So we've heard of some pretty shitty moms out there. Hey. Oh, yeah. There's Catherine Knight. You did yep. a story on her. Yeah. Um, fucking Casey Anthony. Mm-hmm. I, I want to eventually... I don't know if you want to do a story on her, but I've wanted to... It's okay. You can. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Totally. Because, yeah, I was actually meaning to talk to you about that eventually, about covering a story on Casey Anthony. I followed her entire trial. She is insane. So, yeah, horrible mothers, you know, Casey Anthony, um, Madame Laura Lee. Mm-hmm. She's another horrible, horrible mother. The reason I'm bringing this up today is because this is about a mom and the monster in today's story is brought to you by me. Yay. <laughs> the sadistic torture and murders carried out by Michelle or Shelley Nodick. Have you heard of her? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Also, my next sentence, also known as Shelley Nodick. I don't know why. Her name is Michelle, but she ended up going by Shelley. I don't fucking know. Michelle was born on April 15th, 1954 in Raymond, Washington. She was raised alongside her youngest brothers, Chuck and Paul, with their alcoholic and neglectful mother, Sharon, until she, like Sharon, abandoned Michelle and Chuck to their stepmother, Lara, and their father, Les. Unfortunately, the life that Michelle had with her mother was extremely toxic, and there were abusive boyfriends in and out of the picture, so it was bad. That drop-off slash abandonment was the last time they ever saw each other. At this time, Laura had no idea that Les even had any kids. So her stepmom... Oh. Yeah, had no idea he had kids until they were quite literally dropped on her doorstep. That's kind of a weird thing not to tell your wife. I know. (laughs) By the way, I have kids. (laughs) Yeah, right? Laura tried very hard with Michelle and did her best to be a positive role model in her life. Les also adored Michelle, and she was quite literally his perfect little angel daughter who could do no wrong. In his eyes, she did no wrong. So it was bad. It was uh, just perfect, perfect storm waiting to happen. Yeah. It was emphasized that she was literally like his little angel. Oh, wow. Yeah. However, Michelle's behavior unraveled and became very troubling for Laura and Les. It started out with somewhat typical teenage behavior... At times, it consisted of Michelle telling Lara every single day that she truly hated her. Not necessarily unheard of, but still very horrible and cruel. She also began refusing to pull her weight around the house with chores, wouldn't keep her room clean, and began refusing to go to school. Then Michelle began lashing out in worse ways, like controlling her brother in a very concerning manner, such as speaking for him and heavily manipulating him within their family. I have to emphasize in the beginning that Michelle is, I would say, inarguably one of the most manipulative people in history, in especially specifically history of serial killers. She was so manipulative. It's been kind of a bit of a, a wonder for psychologists to the level of like the severity with her. Now comes Anna into this fucked up story. 
Anna was Michelle's grandmother, and to say that Anna was a monster is an understatement. She was a physical, emotional, verbal, and psychologically abusive crazy bitch. Back in the 40s and 50s, she ran several nursing homes and ruled with a brutal iron fist, equipped with spikes. She was abusive to the residents and equally abusive to staff in all the ways I listed. Some of these horrible acts of violence included punching and kicking, verbally berating and humiliating. She forced staff to wash her feet and would force their heads into toilets while she flushed it. The fuck? Yep. Her abusiveness also leaked into her personal life in a profound way. She forced her husband to sleep in a shack outside for 20 years. What the fuck? Of their marriage and was abusive to everyone else she came in contact with. Michelle spent an abundance of time with her grandmother, Anna. Watching, learning, and became her little protege of evil. Michelle's ruthless nature combined with never being held accountable for absolutely anything in her life and being honestly a spoiled fucking brat created the perfect storm for a cold, dead-hearted monster who does not give a fuck about anyone. By 13, Michelle found out that her mother had been murdered by being beaten to death in a motel room by a boyfriend. Michelle showed absolutely zero remorse. However, her intensified behavior proved that the death of her mother affected her in some capacity. She now became evil and along with that, very sadistic. Michelle became even more entitled for undivided attention. That was something, yeah, that like, I'll get into that more. Mm -hmm. She was such an attention whore that like, okay, so I'm about to get into it. It was insane. Michelle became even more entitled for undivided attention and took attention on her siblings personal. She hated it and lashed out in an unimaginable way. She would put broken glass in her siblings' shoes. Jeez. And then hide and wait to watch them put their shoes on and enjoyed watching the anguish on their faces. Michelle's hair trigger temper worsened. She tried lighting her parents' house on fire. Her tantrums went off the charts and she began telling people that Lara was abusing her, was mean to her, which wasn't true, was Mm -hmm. the other way around. Yeah. She also went as far as to accuse her father of raping her when she was 15. She had a meeting with her school and everything. It devastated her father. It was all an act for attention and was proven to be a flat-out lie through a physical examination that confirmed that Michelle was still a virgin and there was no evidence of any rape or physical bruising that goes along with all of that. Mm -hmm. It was later discovered by Laura that Michelle gathered this idea through an article title in a True Confession magazine that read, I was raped at 15 by my father. This monumental and damaging lie caused Michelle to get expelled. Rightfully fucking Well, yeah, exactly. Michelle became absolutely too much for Les and Laura and was strangely shipped off to her step-grandparents. So, Laura's parents. Oh, weird. I know, it's strange. Spoiler alert, she was a holy terror for them too. She would throw dishes in the garbage and when babysitting kids, she would barricade them in their rooms with furniture up against their doors and never let them out the entire time. Jesus. She offered to babysit neighborhood kids. And because people didn't know how fucking insane she was, they were like, sure. And she was so manipulative and she gave off, she was super charming. I mean, typical narcissist, right? They're very charming. Mm -hmm. And she gave off this persona that she was so great. Everybody loved her. She was a sadistic fucking wingbat. Unsurprisingly, she accused her step-grandfather of molesting her too. This was another breaking point and a new bridge that Michelle burned badly. 
So it was a lie. He didn't yeah. molest her. Naturally, this led her to bounce around, never staying anywhere long, but causing major chaos along the way and inflicting anguish and trouble in people's lives. When she was staying with her aunt and uncle, her behavior was so atrocious, they not only kicked her out, but they both also ended up getting a divorce because of her. Oh, fuck. Then a boarding school she wound up in with literally, quote-unquote, no bullshit nuns. Uh Uh-huh kicked her out after her behavior was erratic and she began putting glass in other students' shoes. So she was literally breaking apart families now. People are getting divorced because of this crazy bitch. Wow. Could you imagine having somebody come and live with you and then not only kicking them out but divorcing your spouse because of it? Yeah, all the fucking bullshit that That they went through. Yeah, like that is... That has to be such a deep level of chaos that like you can't even imagine. Yeah. As infuriating as her awful wickedness and spoiled brat attention whore behavior is, everyone who consistently rejected her threw fuel on this fire, spiraling her further and further out of control. And I'm sure she struck so much fear into people, they were probably not only afraid of her behavior, but afraid of her as a person too. Combined with the day and age it was, I doubt anyone had the nerve to suggest she seek psychological help or evaluation. But I'm sure a lot of people were thinking it. Oh, yeah. Unimaginably, Les and Laura allowed Michelle to move back in. And when she turned 18 in 1973, she moved out on her own for good. Unsurprisingly, Michelle had some pretty toxic relationships and she was the root of all toxicity. She actually ended up with some pretty nice guys and she just fucked it up so bad. I think we all could anticipate that. Yeah. Her first husband was a shy man named Randy Rovato, and he couldn't handle Michelle or her controlling and abusive nature. She controlled everything and forced him to do everything. If he slighted her, like looked at her the wrong way, she'd lock him out of the house. Remember how I mentioned that her dad was blind to her behavior Mm -hmm. and she had him wrapped around her finger? Yeah. Well, Randy worked with her dad, and if she snapped her fingers, her dad would come running. She'd call her dad and tell him that she was struggling to control Randy and that she needed him to send her his paychecks. And he would. Oh, my God. He did it like an idiot. Wow. Her father was by far the most naive and the biggest enabler in Michelle's life. Did he forget that she accused him of raping her and went as far as to tell her school, humiliating him and breaking his heart as a loving father? It's like he forgot about all of this. Wow. I guess that just doesn't matter anymore. Not only did he enable her, all her behavior, he paid for all her shit too because she was lazy. She was so fucking lazy. Mm-hmm. And like, you'll, you'll see more of a painted picture of that. He gave her money, bought her clothes, and even bought her a car. It wasn't her dream car, so naturally, Michelle threw a complete and total fit. Like, <laughs> tantrum. Wow. She's like nineteen, twenty at this point. Yeah. This woman would quite literally go to any length in order to either get her way or get undivided attention. She once faked overdosing on pills. She ended up in the hospital, had her stomach pumped, and all that was found was two aspirin. (laughs) Yeah. She wanted a new house, and when her father finally asserted some fucking boundaries and said no, she staged a break-in and even beat herself up. What the hell are you doing? I'm kicking my ass, Timon! Unsurprisingly, she got her way. February of 1974, Michelle gave birth to one of her three daughters, Nikki, whom she didn't want and abandoned her with Lara. 
Michelle also divorced Randy not long after Nikki's birth. After approximately a year, she finds her second husband, a man named Danny, and she has another daughter named Sammy. She also went back to go pick up Nikki and acted like she just dropped her off for the afternoon. Oh, wow. Yeah. She just comes back and picks her up after a year and being like, all right, hey, kiddo, how's it going? Let's go. Yeah. Wow. Like, nothing happened. Their marriage lasted, so her marriage with Danny lasted about five years, and it was just as abusive on her end as her marriage with Randy. Fast forward to 1983 when Michelle was 29 years old and meets her final husband named Dave Nodick. Dave is a very significant and pivotal turning point for Michelle and her tirade. Dave started off as Michelle's victim, but after some time, he became a mirror and helper of Michelle's capability of abuse and evil. Dave and Michelle met in a bar and Michelle casted him under her charming spell very easily. Dave was infatuated with her. Michelle, physically on the outside, she was very gorgeous. She was very attractive. Oh, okay. She was beautiful. And so he was like, oh my God, this gorgeous. She was like, she had flaming red hair. She was like, this gorgeous woman's paying attention to me. He was just head over heels for her. And trusting the psychopath that she is, she tells Dave not long after they start dating that she has cancer. Okay. I know I don't need to tell you all that that was a lie. This guilted Dave into marrying her and trapping his ass. Once Michelle and her two girls moved in with Dave, Nikki was 12 and Sammy was nine. Michelle literally beat Dave into submission, physically, emotionally, and mentally. Then Michelle would love bomb Dave like crazy, which inflicts so much psychological torment on a human's mind. Michelle broke him down so much so to the point that Nikki and Sammy found him with a 12 gauge shotgun in his mouth. Dave became a fragment of who he was. After he was, I don't know, done being a victim of her abuse, he then flipped and became her other abuser. The focal point of their abuse began with Nikki. If she slighted Michelle in the smallest way, or many times she didn't do anything wrong at all, she would get horrifically beaten by Dave and Michelle. When Dave beat Nikki, Michelle would watch, and it's believed that Michelle gained sexual arousal from watching her oldest daughter get abused. Nothing was off the table when it came to their weapons either. It would, could be a spatula, a whip, or whatever would inflict physical harm and was within arm's reach. Could be a kitchen knife, anything. She would pin Nikki down and relentlessly assault her emotionally, physically, and mentally, and verbally. Calling her horrible things. She'd call her a pig a lot. Mm -hmm. She did to a lot of people. And humiliating her as deeply as she possibly could and until blood ran. Jeez. Nikki's head once got slammed against a protruding nail from the wall and she never went to the hospital for it. She never went to the hospital for any of her injuries, which isn't surprising. No. Once again, after senseless and traumatic beatings, Michelle would love bomb Nikki endlessly. So much psychological torment. Yeah. Nikki never said a peep about the abuse she endured and would cover the bruises with makeup and strategic clothing. There was also massive psychological abuse inflicted on Sammy and neither one of the girls were allowed to have any fun and had outlandish rules and restrictions. Like they weren't allowed to do anything, nothing. Neither of the girls were allowed any sort of privacy or basic hygiene. Michelle would not only watch them go to the bathroom, she would restrict how many times they were allowed to use a washroom every day. And their only means of a shower was being hosed down in the backyard. What the fuck? They weren't allowed soap or clean clothes. They stunk so badly because of how much their psychotic mother and stepfather deprived them both. 
If you didn't think the psychological abuse could get any worse, I have bad fucking news. Michelle would lock her daughters up in their bedrooms for hours or days on end. There was a time that Nikki was locked in her room for an entire summer. She never left her bedroom. Oh my God. She was given a bucket for a toilet. Yep. The extremely heart-wrenching part of her being locked in her room is that Nikki enjoyed it because she didn't have to deal with her mother. Yeah. She did a lot of reading in her room and embraced her alone time. I feel like I just keep listing all of the mentally and emotionally tormenting catastrophes that Michelle inflicted on her poor girls because I am. Yeah. I just, it's so much listing of what happened. Michelle's behavior was endless and relentless, especially around holidays. This made me cry. She would give her girls their gifts and after a moment of their excitement after opening them, she'd rip the gifts away from them and never give them back. And just to add insult to injury, she would put the girls' gifts in a closet and put masking tape across the closet doors, setting the girls up for a brutal abuse should they try and grab their toys. And she always kept the closet doors open so they could see them. Yeah. Oh, just that, just giving me shivers. Like, I cried when I first read that. Like, I, as a mother, I couldn't imagine. No. And just not only my girls, but just doing that to a child. I know. How could you do that to a child? Why didn't she just leave Nikki with, you know, her grandparents? I know. She's probably much happier there. Yeah, and you'd think so, but she needed someone to torture. Yeah. And Michelle, she would target one person after the next. Mm -hmm. It was always a main focus on one person, and Mm -hmm. there was multiple. That's why the story is going to be 15 fucking pages. Yeah. Absolutely devastating. The way she treated those precious girls whom she did not fucking deserve, it was monstrous. All this torment created codependency issues with the girls and their mother. Almost even Stockholm Syndrome. They loved their mom. They loved her a lot. And they wanted her approval and just wanted to please her. It's fucking heartbreaking. And of course, they looked forward to the love bombing because those were the only moments in time where their mother showed them a shred of kindness. Yeah. Even though it was fake as fuck. Anyone who's gone through psychological torment, like love bombing and codependency issues knows what this is all about. It's hard. Mm-hmm. You don't know way, which way is up or which way is down, and it's hard to see your way out of codependency problems, especially when you feel worthless without that exterior validation, even if it's fake. Another act of abuse was an attempt to drive a wedge between the two sisters who were extremely close and had each other's backs. They were all each other had. Michelle did this to keep them from ganging up on her, but the girl's bond was too strong and they were so smart. They seen through their mother's evilness and never let her put a wall between them. The peak of Michelle's physical and psychological torture was a torment she began inflicting on mainly Nikki and Michelle even named this unique self-thought-up torture. She called it wallowing. She would burst into Nikki's room in the middle of the night, screaming slamming the lights on and screaming at her to get out of bed and strip naked. Berating her and making her feel worthless the entire time, she would scream at Nikki to get downstairs naked and get outside into the bitter cold. So this is Washington, so it gets pretty cold there. Yeah. There's snow, right? Yeah. She would demand that she act like a pig on the ground and call her a pig, force her to roll around in the dirt and act like an animal, all while piece of shit Dave, a complete porta potty Yeah. would soak Nikki with freezing water from the hose. This woman's behavior was off the charts and there really are no words to express the gravity. 
after Nikki had been tortured, being hosed down with freezing water in the bitter winter for hours. Oh my God. Hours. She'd then be drugged into the house and forced into boiling hot water, which would feel even more scalding hot after what she had endured outside. Yeah. It would be so fucking hot. I would argue that it would be enough pain to put someone into shock and kill them. Yeah. Nikki endured this torture night after night. She wasn't safe awake. She wasn't safe sleeping. That's a level of torment that not many of us could comprehend. Michelle grew bored of torturing and tormenting her own daughters and began taking people into her home, whom she intended to torture with Dave. Typically elderly or downtrodden individuals, easy victims to prey on, Michelle moved on to her nephew Shane, who moved in with them when he was 13. His father, Paul, Michelle's brother, ended up in jail, so Shane became homeless. Of course, Shane thought that this was perfect and that they were the family he never had and always wanted. He became close with his female cousins like they were his sisters. Michelle then groomed Shane and slowly introduced abuse into his life beyond his worst nightmares. She inflicted the same psychological abuse and torment on him, including the wallowing that Nikki was subjected to. This poor boy questioned if he deserved this. He grew increasingly close with Sammy and Nikki, and they always had each other's backs. They'd talk about their dreams and aspirations in life, how fucked up Michelle was, and what they'd do if they had the chance for a great escape. Michelle obviously hated the closeness that these three shared and began to humiliate the cousins in unspeakable ways. She'd force them to strip naked and slow dance together while the rest of the family watched them. They would be sobbing the entire time and Michelle would laugh. The next victim on Michelle's radar was Kathy Lorena. Her and Michelle were already friends. She was Michelle's hairdresser and Kathy found herself in unfortunately hard times and needed a place to live. Kathy was described as an amazing and kind human who would do anything to help someone. During this time, it's important to bring to light that Michelle gave birth to her third and final daughter, Tori, at 34 years old. This was right before Kathy moves in. Now, Dave was over the moon about the pregnancy and was shocked that she was even able to have children. What with all the chemo she was under. Right. Did you forget she was she has cancer? Yeah. Yeah, she told Dave she has cancer. Um, from the first time they started dating until now. Dave has believed that Michelle has had cancer and was really going to appointments and getting chemo in between beating everybody. Of course, Michelle attempted to gain attention by telling people that Tori would be sick with this and that, and she even tried to smother her baby with a pillow. I know. I know. I know this story is so long-winded, guys. I'm sorry. But I'm currently nine pages in, and I'm not giving up now. Dave didn't want Kathy to move in, but Michelle insisted on it and that she needed help with the baby. Unsurprisingly, Michelle's torture on Kathy was so amped up to a whole new level, which is hard to even imagine, and we don't want to, but allow me to fill you in. In episode 16. Yes. To be continued. All right. I'm cutting it off there. Okay. We're cutting it off at Kathy, and then we're going to get into the unimaginable horrors like, you guys think it was bad? Oh, Jesus. It is unfathomable what happens next. Wow. For episode 16. Great. It sucks that we have to wait. I know. <laughs> I don't think I've heard this before. No. So, no, I'm pretty... I don't think I have. Oh, man. It's a really, really long-winded, crazy story. 
there's so much to it. I, I remember when I heard it for the first time, I think I heard about it in 2019 and uh, just reading about it and then watching like a YouTube channel on it or uh, episode on it and stuff like that. I was like, holy fuck, this story, like it never ends. Yeah. Never stops. That's why it's going to be like 15 pages. <laughs> What's her name? Michelle. Michelle Nodick. Nodick. K-N-O-T-E-K. I'm not going to read about it. I just want to see what she looks like. Definitely better looking than the guy oh, <laughs> in God, my episode. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, he's ugly. Yeah. Like, beat with the ugly stick. Yep. Horrible. All right. Well, I'm excited for this episode 16 so we can hear the end of that right? crazy ass story. I can't wait to tell you guys the end of it. And I'll give a recap, too. I'll give a brief recap before I start talking about it. So. Okay. Yeah. So that's part of... Uh, part of the story and this is also our first time doing part one of the yeah. story yeah i'm sure there will be other stories oh, that sure. you need to yeah. split it into two because they're just too much information too much detail yeah exactly yeah i almost did that with a david no dennis wait i can't remember his name now the serial killer i did where he he was hiding bodies under his floor and shit oh yeah it's, it's actually funny you bring that up because i was listening to my favorite murder today and yeah. they they talked about that story i was oh, like okay. diana did that one yeah 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 I wanted to split that one because there was so much stuff I left out. Yeah. Um, it's a really long one. It really it's is. Re there's so many details to yeah. that story too. So yeah. many details. Yeah. I definitely could have done a two-part on that one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that a was a messed one. up story. Super messed up. Yeah. Yeah, that guy was yeah. fucking cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yep. All right. Well, that's it, folks. Yeah. Have an awesome night. Don't forget to uh, visit our social media. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. We're on Instagram, my ride or die pod. Facebook, my ride or die pod as well, right? Yeah. Twitter. Podcast. Podcast. Facebook. Okay. I'm sure. sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Our email is my ride or die podcast at gmail.com. And then we're on Twitter and stuff. But again, <laughs> we never use it. We never use it. No. I think, like I said, when we post on Insta, it automatically gets posted to twitter but i haven't checked it's not it's not okay no, it's not i don't care <laughs> i don't care either but yes go and visit our sites and like our stuff and email us if you have any suggestions mm -hmm. comments complaints but there's a special photo for that one <laughs> just goes in there and into the the black hole of email folders right. the black abyss <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> All right, well, have a good night, guys. Bye. Bye.